Welcome to the Property Experts Podcast by Fantastic Services, where we interview leading landlords, property developers and investors, architects and interior designers. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Fantastic Services Property Experts. Today, we're taking a different topic. The topic is about complex financing for property. It's about property where it's slightly more complicated to get financing uh, and where it's more difficult to it. As everybody, we're fantastic services, the company that matches cleaners, tradesmen, and everybody else with their clients. And we do this in a franchise way. But where we're really interested is in how we improve the business for property investors, landlords, and property owners. And that's why we're today in the studio with Mark Watts. And I'll let Mark um, from Yumu Finance talk about himself and give him a brief intro on why you're here, Mark. So Mark, thank you so much for having the time to talk to us today. And thank you so much for joining us in our podcast and the property experts. Mark, um, the first things first is like, I'll ask you about like, how do you get into property and how do you get into financing? Yeah, sure. So firstly, Ruin, thank you very much for the invite to come and speak. Um, really do appreciate the opportunity. Um, and yeah, looking forward to, to the conversation this afternoon. Um, so, my background, how did I get into this? Well, I kind of fell into it, if I'm honest. Um, I'm a very sporty individual. Uh, my college days were spent studying to be a physiotherapist. Uh, but one thing led to another, and I found myself working in financial services, HSBC, and started there at the, the ripe old age of 20. So I've been in financial services now for over 20 years, um, plenty of experience around that. Started my career at the very bottom entry level, if you like, in a call center environment. and worked my way through up in the, the management structure there. Um, looking a lot in retail banking, actually looking after high net worth individuals um, and then stepped across into commercial banking for the last seven or eight years of my career um, where we looked after a portfolio of uh, trading businesses um, who all had property need, uh, sorry, um, business requirements turning over between two and 10 million international businesses um, needing borrowing requirements in excess of 300,000. Um, that was up until the age of 38. And then I made the decision basically if I was still going to be there when I was 40, I was probably still going to be there for the rest of my life. So um, I decided to to jump shift um, and come out into an arena that I thought actually had a lot more opportunity um, for, for what we were looking to offer. So I think traditionally banks obviously target the larger end of the end of the scale for obvious reasons because they're, they're potentially more profitable clients. However, arguably, um, you could look at some of the smaller guys or perhaps the people who need the most support and, and coaching through that process of the finance piece um, and therein lay the opportunity. So Human Finance has been in its current format for uh, just over two and a half years now. Um, and we sort of specialize in the more complex commercial um, and more creative ways of financing as opposed to, yes, we will do straightforward buy to let, but um, where our passion is, is, as you say, just looking at the more complicated aspects of of funding a transaction and this is where it comes in and gets interesting mark because i mean in the in in the property world um there's no such things as a like for like box standard thing um there's a number of things that needs to be be taken into consideration everything from location and so forth and then there's now epc rating and then there's classification of it and this is where it gets interesting i mean if you're talking about a straight and, and this is one of the things that we, we, we talked about this and a couple of the other um, property experts who've been on here have talked about this beautiful thing about that it is better sometimes to go to a broker. Um, and even if it's just a simple buy to let or a buy for yourself, it is the availability 
and I guess the network of what's on the market, because even if you go on comparison websites, that's not where it all is. There are there are products out there available for different kind of aspects. And that's where it's always nicer or better actually to talk to a broker because there are things that, oh, there are specialist investors in this. Um, take me to the process of, 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 let's say, I said first time buyer is probably too boring, but let's take, take start there and then let's go up to where it gets interesting on, on the higher level. But let's take to the first time buyer and and and, sure. and where it is where it is yeah yeah so i think we get i got asked this question a lot as to why use a broker versus uh, either a price comparison website or indeed go straight to straight to my bank for that matter and um that's a really good question and it very much depends on the individual and where they are in their property journey really um if you're an individual who is very clear as to the journey that you're taking and where your end goal is and you're very clear as to how you're going to get there then the reality is yes a broker can help you get you know, cheap money then it really, you know, search the market for, for uh, the best deals, but there's price comparison websites and so on that can do that. So you're probably better off looking, looking at that or having a, a sort of broker relationship that you don't lean on too much, really. Um, the real value from us comes from our ability to have that conversation and understand where you are today versus where you want to be, the likely steps that you're going to need to put in place to get there and tailor the different solutions to what it's going to need to look like. So, for example, it may well be that you have a, you're starting a, a simple residential property investment journey, the buy, refurbish, refinance route. Um, you want to acquire some assets, add some value to it, and refinance to pull most of your cash out and go again, rinse and repeat, so on and so forth. It may not be that you just need to simply hunt down the cheapest mortgage. You need to take into consideration, is interest only the right option to keep your cash flow as strong as possible? which lenders are going to allow you to pull your cash out outside of the six-month waiting period that sometimes exists, um, which lenders have appetite to continue to lend to you um, with perhaps limited experience in the sector, um, and all of these things will come into play. Also, is a mortgage the right answer versus short-term funding and, and so on and so forth? So th there's multiple considerations there. Obviously, as you then uh, lift up the complexity around transactions, then the value of a broker becomes more and more um, in the process of a transaction. So, for example, if you're looking to acquire a commercial premises, um, having an inherent understanding of the leases, what sort of assets that lenders are happy to lend against, as you can imagine, hospitality is a bit of a challenge at the moment. Um, also understanding what the ratios are, the loan-to-values, and certainly stalled out very early on. So when you're engaging with, with agents, you know that you have the propensity to buy rather than just kicking tires, really. Yeah, Mark, I mean, this is what, 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 what I started with. Um, I remember, um, and welcome to being an entrepreneur, leaving the big corporate world of safety um, and into the big adventure. Um, I, I, I remember I, I started making more money than I was in my previous job, but suddenly getting a mortgage was nearly impossible because, oh, you've only been trading for two years. And it's like, that's a long time in an entrepreneurial world. We all know how, how long companies live and how long they survive. So, being more than a decade old is, is, is like now we, we, we're we getting the, the ring on the door for it. It's a big difference when you're two, three years into it, or even if you're the first year into it. So I have all due respect for everybody who's trying to get a mortgage when they're an entrepreneur, when they have X amount of things that the accountants accounted for and what you're doing. And it's like, whoa. Um, so that's why I said like a broker can help you in some of those cases as well, because there are, yes, you might be paying a premium for it, but sometimes that premium is worth it because you're getting on the ladder versus not doing it. So it's like not necessarily the percentage because not everything is available to everybody. 
that's what I know. And also the rates are very, very, very different, also depending on what you're buying as well, uh, what you're trying to buy. And it's like, I think I think that's one of the things where it gets it starts getting complicated. Then there are a number of properties which are different background. I mean, um, I, 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 I keep thinking about it as a, as a way of borrowing money can also be a bit like getting investment because you also have to have a, a couple of forecasts, but you also have to have their independent valuation of what the property is worth. One thing is if you're, if you're doing it for yourself or if it's buy to rent or if it's buy to um, now it's a, a managed service, service management, or if it's a rent to rent, even, you know, some people borrow to do rent to rent, which I think that's when it gets really fun for them. And it's like, okay, well, good luck on balancing all the spreadsheets on top of each other and, and your house of cards. And, and let's see what happens um, in the future of it. I always think it's, you, you've got to have a sensible approach to this. Mark, um, if you're an entrepreneur or you're starting out in business, or let's say one of our franchisees who's been trading for maybe a year, um, and I always say to everyone is like, the best thing is to diversify your investment, whether it's property or whether it's actually running an operational franchise or whether it's, uh, it's investing and putting it in, into the, into the market, um, or in the stocks, what would be the first steps for an entrepreneur, um, to take or. So I think there's a couple of parts to that question really. And I think if we break it down into the various different sections, we can sort of talk around, um, some of the challenges, um, and opportunities that exist in commercial property. So if you are a trader, one of the biggest challenges is for trading businesses that want to acquire their own premises. Um, very often you'll be in, the, in a lease and you'll be paying a rent. And as we all know, rent is typically more expensive than, than a mortgage. So in, in a lot of businesses view that's, you know, and, and rightly so, that's, that's, that's money that's going to waste. You're paying someone else's mortgage off for them. Um, the challenge is, is whenever you look to acquire your own property, you look at what the trading profit is of the business and banks will want to see a minimum of two years of that trading profit. So in reality, it's probably closer to three years that you need to be trading before a business will take a serious look at that. There can be mitigating circumstances for that. So for example, there are some lenders that will look at projections um, or certainly draft accounts if you haven't quite finished the period or you've just finished the period but not filed. Um, I'm some of those mitigated circumstances, you may have contracted income. So it's very easy to predict what your future income is going to be and what the contracts are. And we can start to build a business case around, well, actually, yes, we understand you need two years, but here's a five-year contract with, I don't know, McDonald's. Um, that's not going to go away anytime soon. So that income becomes more and more reliable and more valuable when you look at what the projections are going to be. So there is that way that you can potentially mitigate it. It's more and more difficult, as you can imagine, the current climate. Pre-COVID, it was a little easier uh, because we didn't have the uncertainty in the marketplace. But, but definitely there are ways and means in which if you are at the right business, um, you can have that conversation with a lender. Um, the other type of commercial property then is what we class as commercial investments. Now, commercial investment property is exactly as it would suggest. You're buying it to put a third-party company in there so that it's a completely arm's length transaction. Um, now, the income, the reason that that is easy and you don't need two years worth of trading history and so on is because the lease is the bit that's the valuable piece there. So there is a legal document between the occupant or the occupier, the tenant, and you as the owner. Now, if they default on their arrangement, there is repercussions for you to get your income and so on. So there's an easier route in. Commercial investment is easier, actually, than 
owner-occupier in the early days. However, you could argue if you've got a strong business model and it's very, very profitable, then it's not linked to necessarily lease income. Um, and you can then accelerate, you know, if you, if you want to acquire multiple sites within your business and so on and so forth. So there's weaknesses and um, strengths to both models. Um, most that we would talk to in the investment arena will go down the commercial investment. Um, and we only touched upon the SaaS piece as well, which you can potentially utilize to, um, to, to, to fund occupied, uh, sorry, owner occupier and commercial investment. So I mean, you know, like, like, like thinking about it in 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 our sense of it, you know, when we were starting out, you know, we were renting an office. Um, it was always the easiest. Um, it's also hard when you when you three three uh, three years into trading, you generally have a commercial lease that's five years, three to five years minimum. Uh, you're going into this, then you're expanding, then you don't know what the size is. You know, then you've got fluctuating income, you've got years of of, of trading, and you know, this this is what I said. Like for, for as an entrepreneur, this is like when is the right time um, to go in and say like, well, I want to do that, and then am I doing that investment? What do you think is advisable? I mean, should a company be you know, I think three years is, is, is the time, after three years is the time to start looking at it. You know you roughly where you're trading. However, um, I also know that most companies fail before their 10 years. So it's, 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 it's an interesting part, you know, and then suddenly you're getting, getting, um, you're getting employees and then, oh, what if I grow? What if I don't grow? <laughs> um, you know, and the economy outside. So what, what's, an, what's a good time to start thinking about property for an entrepreneur or for, an, for, for in that aspect of it, for a company? Yeah. Yeah, and I think the, all those different decisions and you know the, the plates that you're spinning are very much the reason why banks or, or mortgage lenders, for that matter, want to see a reasonable track record before they really entertain that that piece. So usually after two to three years, you know you've navigated the most difficult part of the process, which is starting up and sort of getting your feet under the table uh, and moving on. In regards to when is it the right time, I guess that very much depends on you as a business. So if your priorities are still continue to drive growth then do you really need to be taking um, a 30% deposit out of your working capital cycle to invest into a property, which is a long-term asset and so on and so forth? That cash might be far more valuable in attracting new clients, buying stock, et cetera, uh, and keeping that working, cycle, uh, working capital cycle alive. Um, so I think it's very much dependent on you as a business as to where you're at in your growth stage. Now, obviously, if, if at three years you feel like you've grown enough or you, you're probably going to start to plateau at that point, then, and you've built up some capital reserves, then arguably that might be a good time to, to think about, actually, do I replace rent for mortgage? Start to grow the balance sheet. Um, and again, it depends as well. So for example, some businesses will have to tender for work. They need a certain strength on their balance sheet to get up to the right level of, of contracts. Now, acquiring a property is a really good way of getting that balance sheet growth uh, because that's just going to sit there and you're going to see that grow to a point. Um, so there's there's another reason why you might want to get into property over and above just the investment side of things. And then they've got this amazing thing is like they always ask in the beginning is like, have you do you own any property? I said, no, but I own a company that's growing constantly, you know, and I keep brooding money into it to double it, you know. So it's like, okay, well, you know, you don't own any property. I'm not going to lend you anything. It's like, oh, and these are the... I understand it from the other side as well, you know, looking at, at financing and entrepreneurs, like, are they really, are they, you know, because it, it's so much depends on the person. It's one of those things that I didn't anticipate when, when I started out. And you probably see that now, Mark, yourself in your, in your journey is like, it depends on you, right? You're the, that's where the box stops or the, the pound or the 
penny it stops there right so it's 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 exactly it's on you for the, for a very long time and then it becomes later it becomes on some of your managers senior managers and your board and your stakeholders and so forth but it does very much depend on you on on the driver of the growth here so so you understand that from the other side you understand that from your own side now but as i said like like this is why it's, it, it's good for an entrepreneur or for 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 a starting business that's three years down the line to come and talk to you guys, right? And, and then you'd start looking at those factors. Like, what is it that's worth it? Is it worth it? Is it a is it a business unit mixed with a commercial unit? Is it a you know opening so and so forth? Um, what do you think? I mean, given given what, where we are now in the economy, what do you think is let's say? Where's where's it easier to get money than it is, for example, where and where is the difficult? What's the easy part and what's the difficult part? Is it? Um, yeah, so a great question. I think if I come back really to what you mentioned about the person, um, now we have an acronym where it comes to lending. Everybody loves a little acronym, but um, uh, it's P A R PAR. Um, P stands for person. So in every lending application, we will and have a deep understanding of the individual. Or, or the individuals behind that company um, to see what track record, what experience, what they like. Are they are they risk takers? Are they cautious? Are they balancing their approach? What are the various different things that they thought about? Um, so the following on from that, then it goes person, amount, uh, amount and reason. So what's the reason that they want to borrow? So those are the three things that we'll have a look at because numbers on a bit of paper are exactly that. Unless you've got the skill set and the management team to deliver those numbers, then they, they become meaningless. So that's why we put so much emphasis on the individuals. Um, moving on to the question around where's the easiest place to get money from? Um, arguably, the easiest place to get money from is from individuals rather than institutions. Um, institution, so if you're talking of mortgages, individuals are not going to lend for the period of time that an institution would be prepared to lend for. You know, so if it's short term that you want to get in, you want to add some value and refinance out, then Potentially, there's there's bridging companies and development finance short term, but arguably, the you know I hear a lot of stories of people who are raising individual private finance to get those transactions done. On a longer term basis, as much as people enjoy a bit of bank bashing at the moment, um, I find my more complex deals are funded within um, banks. Usually, the reason being is they've got the balance sheets to take on the more obscure. Um, properties. Um, so one of my clients is a movie studio. Now we're not going to go taking that to a challenger bank necessarily um, to try and get that finance because there's a lot of intricacies within it. However, the banks are open to having that conversation, as I say, because they will take a slightly different view of things. So the more complex transactions I actually find, believe it or not, it's more easy to get over the line with a bank than it is with some of these boutique type uh, type lenders. I'm I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. Um, but then it comes down to you know, like some people are very good at making an operational business. I'm gonna people are very good at doing the marketing of it. Some people are very good at, at at the financing part of it, and that's why it's it's potentially a good thing to go to a broker who can help um, get that story right because it is it is about um, you know the, what you're displaying, but also about what you're doing. Um, and your numbers say one thing, but I know what um, what every single time we've done the projections and then we beat them. It's like, okay, why? It's like, yeah, because, you know, we were conservative on this one and or sometimes occasionally it happens that we don't beat our predictions, but we do the opposite. Um, it happens when certain things, world pandemic comes in and, um, you know, does <laughs> things to it. So suddenly for the first time in in, in, a, in in more than 12 years, you're not performing to the to the predictions for the year, but it, it happens. 
and 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 that's also part of it. But I'm not surprised about the banks because it is um, a different thing. But they also have security in the properties, and if you paid thirty percent upfront, then you know it so it depends on what they're doing upfront and uh, and and the industry. But talking about that, it's like what I mean, you know, with the stamp duty going down, um, you know, is whether that's going to be prolonged or not. Um, does that mean there's a are there being more mortgages done? Is there what's what's happening in the industry right now? Um, I think stamp duty is a contributory uh, a con- contributory factor. Easy for me to say, a contributory factor to um, to what we're seeing in the marketplace at the moment. Clearly, residential property has gone through the roof. You know, we've seen ten percent growth across the country, um, higher numbers on that. If you look at it and break it down in, into regional areas, um, I think there's a number of different factors for that. Stamp duty being one of them. Um, others being uh, a shortfall of stock. So there isn't that much quality stock coming onto the marketplace, which is uh, creating that supply and demand piece, which we're seeing um, growth uh, then on, on residential house prices. What the what the stamp duty has done, I mean, that's ultimately a saving of 1%. Um, now that shouldn't make or break a deal for you. If your margins are that slim, you probably shouldn't be looking at the property. Um, however, what it has done is created a bottleneck and people racing to save that 1% because... If you can save two thousand pound on a transaction, then then try and save two thousand pounds just by getting it done a bit quicker. What that's done is put immense pressure onto the legal system, mm-hmm. and the value value valuers seem to have caught up. Um, but now it's the, the solicitors that are struggling with the demand. Um, searches are taking longer. So what it's done is it inadvertently created a, a bit of a bottleneck for people racing to get transactions done. But I don't think that's massively inflated the prices. In fact. You know that one percent we may see. You could attribute of that ten percent, one percent of the growth to the stamp duty holiday. Exactly, but I, I guess it's where you're coming from with it, because one percent can mean that you can, um, you know, if that's your if that's your deposit that you can increase with one percent of their whole property value, that means you can buy something that's you know. So so on the lower level, I would say that actually, you know, accelerates it. Um, but also, given that the prices are so high, that it doesn't really matter anymore on on, on those level um you know on, yeah, on the yeah. properties so it's hard to say right and it's it's hard to hard to be exactly on it but i i don't think you're you're, you're wrong in your assessment of it and, and and where do you think where do you think where do you think we're moving now because i mean our numbers from fantastic services on the removal says that everybody is moving not everybody but a number is moving out of central london they're moving from central and um, they're going from from two beds to three beds they're looking at outdoor space um, I think that's potentially a longer-term th- trend, but I also know that that goes in circles. Like cities will reattract again because suddenly we want to go. You know, we don't want to have the commute, and then now we're okay with the commute. I think it's a generational thing. Like our parents moved out to the suburbs because you know what's the point of living in there when you can go garden, and then we moved back in, and then they moved back out. So you know, I think it's a perpetual movement of 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 this where we're just seeing that um, these things comes and goes in circles. Um, that said, there's always some, there's, there's always some gems to be found and there's, there's certain things, but we're not so much on the residential market. What I'm talking about is what about the, um, the market of uh, restaurants, pubs, and everything else, um, retail space, what's happening there? I mean, because that, the residential market, we've heard so much about what's happening there. What, what's, your, what's your view on that? I think... There's, there's clearly and um, obviously a number of challenges in the hospitality space. Retail has been struggling for, for a number of years. I think COVID has accelerated the change that needs to happen in the high street and the retail experience. 
Um, and I think experience there is the key word. So I think with regards to um, retail, rather than just simply going in and trying to buy something cheap, you can do that on Amazon, you can do it on ASOS, you can do it on Brand Alley, wherever these online marketplaces are, and you can have your product within 48 hours. So, you know, trying to compete against that is is probably not the way to go. What you're looking at is probably your more shopping experience and, and that sort of thing. So I think we'll see the retail, um, high street retail more slightly or greatly actually into that sort of experience type thing. Um, as for restaurants and bars, I think everybody wants to go out ultimately. Now, one of the things that I think will probably change is if there is a migration out of city centres, which we will experience some inevitably. What COVID has done is changed people's behaviours more than anything else. Um, those industries will need to go and follow the crowd. So we may start to see um, a bit more of a... a, a a bit more of a move from those businesses out of city centres and into a bit more urban hubs, if you like. You know, we, we, we're seeing springing up of Costas and Costas normally accompanied by a Papa John's and a, and, and a Greg's and a, these little food hubs that, are, that exist right on the edge of, uh, of small communities. So I think we may start to see a little bit of that, but I, I guess it depends on the trend. Now, I suspect that most cities will recover to some description. You know, you will still have young professionals that want to operate out of cities and they will start to change dynamic. And I think what you'll also start to see is some of the commercial property will be repurposed back into um, some, some residential as well. So the high street might look a little different uh, from that perspective. Because that's, that's one of the things. Now, I have a, a lot of friends who are in the hospitality business and in restaurants. Um, and um, a lot of them are petrified because they've had literally no income for a year they've had a couple of rental holidays but there's a potential massive cliff edge coming and 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 that means that i don't think we've seen all the things that's happening to the to the to the hospitality industries like they've they, they're they're on life support and, and and that life support is as some of the publicans I know is, I said like half of their half of their um, their their landlords have been generous enough and said, okay, well we'll transfer that over and we'll keep you because, you know, you've got two hundred pops or a hundred pops and, and we'll keep you. Some of them, some of them have been downright negative and said like, no, 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 you got to pay. And that means that there are um, a couple of people and a couple of local areas is like that's that's about to collapse and and i know that the local community has been asked to so try and buy it out and almost help your local watering hole um what 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 do you think there i mean is that some of the guys who's coming to to get remortgage is that uh you know because i always see it on both sides is one you're the landlord and the other one is you're the client right so you know i always said one of the things behind fantastic services is a two-sided marketplace and that's on purpose there's the people working there and then there's the um, people receiving a service um and then there's the franchisee on on the side of things here what's 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 happening here and what what um what should landlords do in that case you know you've got x amount of pops running there and you know your portfolio might be falling apart what's the yeah i think it's uh, it's a difficult one I, I think everybody expects there to be this big rush to the water the local watering hole once once we're allowed and and restrictions are lifted i think that industry will genuinely see a proper bounce back in the short term at least um does that fix the big problem that has been inherited as a result of having to take on bounce back loans c loans and all that just to survive 
Um, I'm not too sure what that will look like in the in the longer term. Um, there was an announcement from uh, within the last budget, which says you know there is a fund there to help communities buy their local um, hubs if they believe that that is is a way forward. So that could be an exit potential exit strategy for for some landlords um, if they feel they really need to get out of community community value. Something that's a if it has community value, if it's a classified as a pub, there's something about community. That's it. Yes, yeah. So um, there is a, a, a mark on there. I think it's an asset of community value yeah. um, that uh, that would be there. So there is a fund available to assist with local communities uh, from that perspective. Now, whether that is a, is a, is a genuine exit strategy if you're struggling, um, I think what will happen is, the, well, it's already, we're already seeing it. The existing loan monies that have been put into place, you're able to restructure that over to longer terms. Um, perhaps delay payment for six six months and also get some payment holidays within the existing finance as well, which will hopefully, and, and I say the word, uh, yeah, hopefully, will help these sorts of businesses to navigate back out of what is going to be a, a very popular time, but they've gone through so much pain in the, in the interim that um, they really do need us to, to grow out and support them. However much you want, though, sort of going out after 12 months, or there's almost 13 months now of lockdown, you know, it's not in one month you're going to drink, drink 13 times as much as you would normally, um, you know, maybe twice. <laughs> I think a lot of people are, 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 are going to drink twice, I mean, three times as much um, socially for a little while, um, but it's, it's still, it's not going to be 12 times and it's going to be, um, be, be a harder re recovery. And I also think, but that's one of the things I also think has been uh, part of the property pricing race is because it is quite a lot of money. If you think about your Starbucks, if you think about your Costa Coffee, it is quite a substantial amount of money that you've been saving up um, if you're if you're still on your income. So it's like um, that that's a whole different aspect. Um, and it's something that I think is, 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 is anyone's guess really, um, you know, on, on the business side of things. But I think on the on the business financing, taking away from the property, but also the structuring of this, and let's say you've got a, a business that requires property, um, that requires space, that requires storage, or it requires warehousing, or it requires so forth. What's the landscape looking like for that? Because that should be, you know, also going up in value, but also should be more possible to get uh, funding for, right? And yes, absolutely, and and it is. I mean, I, I get lenders ringing me, perhaps on a weekly basis, to see if you've got any clients um, who have uh, need for distribution centres, storage, light industrial units. Um, yeah, so that that market is very much um, hot at the minute, should, should I say? Um, and lenders are very very keen to get into that because um, they see that as an ongoing business model. Like as I say, I think behaviour has changed very much in the way that people consume goods these since COVID um, and it's probably accelerated that change where we would have seen it come in over five to 10 years. We've probably seen that really hit us now, which means that that sort of space in the right location really is going to start to command a premium as people step out of office space and retail, they're still going to have somewhere to store their goods. Um, and then, yeah, I definitely see that as being a, a growing area. The other, the other place that was mentioned as well, which I think we may see are these ghost kitchens. So where we've got to your just eats and the like, um, you don't actually want a, a counterfront of the shop per se because you don't want people walking in, but you want to be able to deliver the goods going on. So we'll, we'll probably chop off the retail part. That means you can go and take your ghost kitchen into an industrial unit with install a kitchen and just mass produce the goods to, to ship it out. Um, I think we'll see a bit of that as well. 
Yeah, it's been one of my favorites. I've actually followed it for a couple of years now. Um, from the early days, I mean, the cloud kitchen idea is uh, to me was like that was a no brainer in some ways. Um, I think there was a guy in in, in uh, Mr. Beast in America who actually managed by having this stuff, um, having having one recipe out, and he managed to get out in I think 200 outlets within you know a week because of this this way of doing it. So suddenly, Mr. Beast burgers were available everywhere. I think that's a brilliant business, and I think like really really well um, well attributed. I mean, I actually, I think I think 20 odd years ago, I wrote a, a similar science fiction story on it for funny because I was in the chef business and wrote about this where I said like, what if you had one recipe that was then distributed? Back then I thought about the distribution via a, a special oven that just kind of produced it. But I guess this was um, a step in between there and it, bam, it, it, it happened. You know, like suddenly you have the recipe um, and you don't have to open the retail space, which is, I think, is part of the expensive part of it. I mean, one is the kitchen equipment, but, you know, a lot of it is the empty retail space. And then suddenly you've got the cloud kitchen, which can also serve two or three brands. So, yeah, I'm quite I'm quite interested in that one as well. I think that's a definitely a business to watch um, going forward. Um, but I think I think the the sort of like like the next step, let's, let's turn it back a notch and, and then say we're going there. And it's like, what's the thing you'd ask for from an entrepreneur business uh, the first time coming to Yumo Finance and say like, well, I need to, you know, I've got this idea, you know, let's, let's, what, what's the first thing you do and, and sit down and take me through the process and simple steps. Sure. So from, from the very beginning, it's understanding. So understanding what the business idea is, what is the business actually delivering and achieving um, and what is the goal of the business? So uh, it sounds cliche, but what is the why? What is the problem that you're actually trying to fix with the business? Um, once you've got a bit of, once you've got a good understanding of what that is, um, then you can start to layer up to understand. Okay, what, who are the people involved? Um, what are the financials? What are the internal and external pressures that are that are going on to this business? Um, we use Porter's Five Forces. Uh, if we're looking at a trading business, as to as to what we look at there. So competition, can we replace it with something else and, and so on and so forth. So we go through that sort of understanding and really get into grips with the, the commercial aspect of the business. So as I mentioned before, the numbers are the numbers. Anybody can hand me a bit of paper with some numbers on there that we're going to say we're going to deliver. Um, and one of the funniest business plans I've ever seen was a coffee shop that said, you know, if we can attract um, the coffee industry is a, is a, is a billion dollar um, a month industry if we can attract one percent of that then you know we will see our business take off i was like well you do realize starbucks probably about seven percent right so um you've got quite a bit of work to do so it's really having an in-depth understanding of what the business is and the numbers that are presented how realistic are they so we will spend a lot of time stripping those down so how have we got to that number in the first place is that realistic and when we say, is that realistic? It is, is that a deliverable number based on what we understand of the business? So if you're a startup business, how realistic is it that you're going to deliver 1.5 million revenue by the end? You might just simply not have the capacity to deliver that. Um, you might want to, but if you don't have the right metrics in place and, and, and systems, then you simply can't deliver it. So we will literally go through from start to finish and very much have an understanding is where do you see yourself in two years, five years, 10 years i mean it's, it's very easy to say to somebody where do you see yourself heading um that's such a mars. big question but it's such a big question so we try and break it down in as to right let's have a look at 12 months two years five years 10 years 
and what is the ambition of the business and what are the steps that need to be put in place to get there. So we might have a conversation today about funding. Okay, and we might go to one place to get the finance, for example. However, when we pick that back up in 18 months' time, you know, assuming you've achieved everything you said you were going to, you are fundamentally a different business and a different lending proposition at that point. So it may be appropriate that we refinance that and put it somewhere else and do something else if there's expansion plans and so on. So we just need to make sure that the finance tailors what it is. It's pointless putting you into a 10-year fixed product if you know that you're going to be a different business in two years. It's just not going to work. So it's really understanding that business, tailoring the solutions. Um, there are so many different answers out there from a finance perspective that it's... it's I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's the same as when we talk about vehicle asset finance and, 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 and financing the cars for franchisees and equipment. You know, it's like there's 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 so many different packages of where they're going, and right now it's 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 one bank is offering it, then the high street, then um, there's a lot of new products coming in. I mean, I think I think it's 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 one of the things that um, that market, the, the the financing market, is changing all the time as well. And there's new products coming out to the market that has a different aspect of it. Then now there's advertising financing, which is based on uh, based on your your revenue, and then it's like it's a percentage on top of it. As like money can also get very expensive, you know. Because I remember when we had a couple of months in the first year where we were struggling um, a little bit um, to get past this stuff here, where credit card actually worked for us. Um, you know, because it was like, oops, the Google AdWords has to come in. It's like, ah, yeah, but um, they did it. And, you know, it's a big risk to take, but it, it worked back in those days. So, you know, now it's a different story, but it was like, you know, as, as you know, the story about Fantastic is, is one of the larger bootstrap companies um, in the UK. So it's uh, been a phenomenal success, but it's also been, 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 you know, on the edge of these things. And we came out in 2009 where, we're just after the first financial crisis, and I mean, money was not available. You know, people yeah. it was there's VC money that bet big on it, and it's like, and and we know companies that spent 40 million on marketing and didn't even make it to that level of of where we are. So you know, it's also about those kind of things. But I mean, it's 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 when you're looking at the market as a whole right now, um, what would you be looking at? What's the interesting part you're going into? What's 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 really interesting now? Um. I think if when we look at the market, do you mean as, from property perspective from or, property, or businesses? From, from property perspective, from, we're the property expert podcast now. <laughs> it's the business-wise. <laughs> I love business, but it's like I, I really, really um, look at it from property things. Yeah, in, in regards to um, the property arena, where do I see that going? I think commercial to resi is, um, is a great opportunity, um, and I think that's really hot, hot at the minute. Um, from a pure commercial space, as, as mentioned, I think the distribution uh, and the storage space is is a really interesting one as well. Um, and also, I think this serviced accommodation model where people are taking hospitality units, i.e. hotels, and turning them into apart hotels um, are, is also an interesting idea as well. And that's actually going to potentially, with some of the hospitality sector, that might be the route out of where they're currently at. I think going forward, COVID is going, is, has massively hit people's confidence as to where they occupy. I think um, if you can offer people self-contained units within that sort of hotel apartment and it's in the city centre, then you've got that sort of isolation built into your business model, meaning that people have confidence and don't have to share too much of communal space for the short term anyway. So I think those are the three areas for me that are really something to keep an eye on um, over the next sort of 24 months. 
No, but it's also one of the complicated ones, right? I mean, residential, um, no, commercial to residential is, is I, I, I love your acronyms. Um, Mark, it's, it's not everybody knows what HMO and R2R is and, and so forth. You know, now we've been um, talking for a while on Clubhouse and seeing a lot about the property market, but it's not everybody knows what you're talking about. But commercial to residential, if you're talking about that one alone, um, one thing is you're buying commercial property and turning it into residential. Now, that is an interesting area, but it's not a completely without all the issues of it. And that's why I said, like, it's not a standard call to your bank um, and, and say, here's the, here's the move. Here's what we're going to do. Um, and we also know that the amount of, of things is new. So take me to commercial to residential and say, what, what's, the, what's the steps there? And are you looking at, at uh, I know that pops have got some kind of classification that means that they're not that easy, but restaurants are easier than, than so forth. And yeah. Yeah. So it, it's very much a planning conversation. And those that, you know, I, I think those that understand the planning environment well, will do well in that space. So, you know, the first thing I would say is get, get your hands on a really good planning consultant so that you can identify the opportunities, put them under your, Put under their noses and they will tell you can you do what you're trying to do so that i think that's the first thing that you really want to be looking at never mind me as a finance broker okay, so finance probably, planning 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 yeah. um a planning expert where do you go about finding those sorry to to, to cut it down to to, <laughs> to the legal <laughs> breaks, right so yeah sure so um i mean clubhouse is a great um a great place so you get to hear people talk you you know they're giving away value for nothing um there and you can really understand whether one you get on with the individual because you will start to see their personality. You can really test their knowledge on a public forum, which is, um, you know, there's nowhere to hide there. If you don't know the answer, then um, you can you can look a little bit foolish. So, um, yeah, there, there's one place to go there. Looking at your architect, have a conversation with your architect. They've probably got some very well-established relationships with some very trusted planning consultants. Um, so this is about forming your power team, I guess, as to, as to how you're going to create this, um, this team to help you get these projects over the line. Um, once you've got your team sort of in place, then I think some people instantly think that commercial to residential is going to be going to some enterprise park, finding a big disused building and then renovating that into flat apartments. Um, what we're seeing a lot of is commercial to residential. And there is a little bit of that going on, but in much bigger schemes. Um, is really looking at opportunities on the high street where retail space has become abandoned because of where we are and the high street being decimated because of covid and they're seeing the opportunity where they can convert some of the commercial space back into residential um, and then put that into flat and significantly reduce, if not remove the commercial space on the high street. So that's where the opportunity is. Uh, but it's also one of the ones that for, for, for let's say, like, say, a, a one-person landlord or a first-time, it's very hard to get a mortgage for something above a retail premise or a cafe or a restaurant because of fire and there's insurance and there's a... Those ones are, are harder to get, which also could actually dent you with a bit of price. And then once that's gone, it's like you're actually sitting on something valuable. But you could also do the opposite, right? <laughs> the opposite could yeah. happen. You know, this property. Yeah, so. yeah. I think one of the challenges that we have, as you quite rightly mentioned, is about the experience. Now, um, lenders will usually want, if you are going to become what they consider semi-commercial or mixed use, um, is a property ownership, then they would expect you to have a degree of experience before you get to that stage. Not all lenders, but most lenders will expect that. So, and it is a step up from being a single let, buy-to-let property owner to having one unit with potentially three, four different tenants, plus a commercial lease negotiation going on as well. 
um, the complexities ramps up. So they want to know that you can handle that. So typically what they want to see is having residential, straightforward residential for two years or more, and then they will sort of entertain that ability to go into the more, the slightly more complex. Now that doesn't mean that you can't do it. There are other ways in which you can get control of the property through options and, and all of those different things. So option purchase agreements where you can negotiate to get control of the property and then buy at a later date, undertake the works and so on and so forth. So there are ways in which you can sort of try and do it, build up that experience and then go to a bank rather than trying to get the finance straight up front. Mark, this is exactly why I invited you on this uh, Property Expert podcast because, I mean, you know, there's a lot more information and, and, and these, these complex lending criteria, there's so much more to it than just going out there. It's not necessarily a standalone product. It can be, and you heard Mark saying it yourself, um, is that it can be your retail bank is the one that has it for you, but presenting the story to them, presenting the, the numbers for them might need assistance and so forth. Mark, thank you so much for coming on board. If you want to know more about it, one thing is that follow the Fantastic Services podcast, the Fantastic Services Property Expert podcast. Please share it with your friends. This has been a very informative number. Um, Mark, if they want to hear more about you, Yumo Finance, and how to get more into it, what's, what's the address and how do they find out more? Sure. So they, they check us out on our website. Our website is www.yumo.finance. It's as simple as that. Um, we spend a lot of time on Clubhouse, so just search my name on Clubhouse and you'll be able to find me there. Um, and don't be afraid to come and ask questions. Um, I'm more than happy to answer and, and contribute wherever I can. Um, that will also lead you through to our Instagram, uh, which is just simply you more finance on Instagram. And you'll find us on LinkedIn at the same name as well. The good thing about our name is it's quite unique, so we're quite easy to find. Uh, yeah, just, just punch us into all, all the social medias and you'll be able to find us straight away. And of course, you'll be able to find out, find them on Fantastic Services, the Property Experts podcast, and on your page here with us. Mark, thank you so much for your time, and thank you for sharing this. I mean, you know, I'm I'm on the uh, I'm on the clubhouse with a couple of others, and we're talking all the time, and it's it's been so informative. And I think that us opening up to our clients and also our listeners uh, doing this. So please do share this. I am I I I think there's um, a bit of exclusivity on Clubhouse, but I also think that 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 breaking it down getting in the podcast here for the property experts. It's like, we're trying to break it down. Yes. There are various levels of listeners from the not even landlord yet, but the, and the accidental landlord. And then there is the property experts on the, on the higher level. And there's the commercial level of it. Um, I think there's one thing um, that one size doesn't fit all, but also the one solution doesn't fit all. And that's where these experts comes in. And that's why I, I, I'm interviewing more and more um, on the podcast. You will also hear about what to do uh, post lockdown, um, lockdown um, design, uh, how to do your home office design and everything else. We're talking to architects and we're talking to finance experts here. Um, so thank you so much for your time, Mark. And, uh, you know, I'll look forward to seeing you again. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks, Rune, and I will see you on Clubhouse next. Take it up, take it over, take it out.